Hey, church family, I want to give you a quick update on our plans for reopening. Uh, as I'm sure most of you know, we are continuing to see a rise in the number of positive COVID-19 cases in our city and in our state. And as we've been discussing the possibility of resuming in-person Sunday gatherings, we believe it's wisest to not reopen everything we do all at once, but rather slowly take steps forward together. We don't want to take unnecessary risks, and we think that because of our life group structure, we're actually set up really well to function as the church while remaining appropriately safe and loving to our neighbors in this season. So, starting August 2nd, the tentative plan is for all life groups to begin meeting in homes on Sundays to worship together, especially if your group is not already doing so. This will allow us to gather meaningfully as the church while at the same time limiting the number of people who are present. We'll be providing resources for you on our website to answer any questions you may have about both logistically and how to safely accomplish this, especially if your life group has a bunch of kids, which I know many of yours do. While for some this might feel a bit odd, I really do think it's important to remember that this is actually the way that many of our brothers and sisters across the globe worship Jesus, gathered in homes around God's word and prayer. And for the next season, our plan is simply just to join in their practice. However, that won't be the only slow step we take for our family of churches in this season. First, we're opening up our live sermon recording on Thursdays. Our downtown church's auditorium is set up to safely accommodate around 100 people with social distancing guidelines. So if you're available at noon on Thursdays in August, please feel free to wear a mask, bring your lunch, and join us for some time together with stripped-down worship and the sermon for the weekend. Secondly, because we believe there is power in the prayers of God's people, once a month we want to start hosting socially distant nights of prayer for God's work in us and through us. As of right now, we'll be hosting them in the parking lot of our downtown church campus. That might change for our Lexington church when our building is complete, but nonetheless, you're invited to come out with your family and lawn chairs to join our family of churches in seeking God for the good of our community. For both of these things, health and safety will be of the utmost priority, and there's no pressure to participate if you're uncomfortable. And of course, these plans are all tentative and subject to change with our ever-changing landscape. But for more details, be on the lookout. They'll be coming soon. Please make sure that you check our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter to stay informed. We love you all, and we're looking forward to seeing you soon. You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to be with you, even virtually this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Tim. I'm excited to get to open God's Word with you this morning. This is a a little bit of a bittersweet moment for me today. So this is my last sermon on staff as a church planning candidate here at Midtown. As many of you know, my wife, Lindsay, and our daughter, Harper, moved to Charlotte a few weeks ago to begin planting Citizens Church. And I just want to give you a quick update before we get started on how things are going and what we've seen the Lord do so far. And so a few weeks ago, we started two groups in the city. We have about 25 folks meeting between those two groups, and we've seen a lot of new folks jump in, which has been a lot 
uh, of excitement for us as well. Uh, next Sunday, July 12th, we're having our very first monthly worship gathering in the city where we get to actually meet in a sanctuary right in the heart of our target neighborhood, right in the middle of Charlotte. And we get to sing and proclaim the good news of Jesus together. And so we're really excited about that. Thank you so much for all of you that have been praying for us, all of you that have sent encouraging texts or phone calls or emails or whatever. Uh, it really means so much to us to know that we have such a wonderful sending church family behind us and in our corner and praying for us as well. Uh, if you know anybody in the Charlotte area who's looking for a church, we'd love for you to send them our way. You can point them to that worship night on July 12th. We'd love to connect with them. Uh, this season of, of COVID-19 and stay-at-home orders and all of that has just kind of made everything weird in life, but I think I've felt that in a really unique way with moving. So there's a lot of goodbyes that we didn't get to say. There's a lot of uh, one more times or last that we didn't get to do, the last places we didn't get to go eat at, all of that. And so it's just weird, uh, and that includes today. It feels really weird to preach this to an empty auditorium. I would much rather have this room filled with people fake laughing at my jokes. So it's just sad, sad that I'm, I'm in here by myself today. But, but nonetheless, this is the reality of where we're at. I'm excited to still get to open up God's word as we look at one more sermon from the book of 1 Timothy. We've, we've covered a lot of ground over the past 12 weeks. So throughout this whole series, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to be the church? We started in 1 Timothy 3.15 where Paul says, I'm writing this so you know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And so we've been asking the question, what, what does it mean? to be the household of God? What does it mean to be the people, the family, the church? What does this mean? And some things that we've seen over the past 12 weeks that being the church means. We've, we've seen that it means we should defend and fight for the truth of the gospel. We've seen that being the church means we should be a people of prayer. We've seen that we should put off distractions and divisions within the church and seek unity. We've seen that God has given pastors and leaders as a gift to the church to lead the church forward. We've seen that we need to train for godliness because the lies of the devil will lead some astray. We've seen that we're a family who helps those in need, that we should honor those who lead us. And then last week, we talked about how we should trust in God and not in wealth or riches. And what we turn to this morning is Paul's final thoughts for Timothy and for this church in Ephesus. And so I thought it'd be fitting today to take some of Paul's final thoughts from 1 Timothy 6 and just to share some of my own final thoughts. So this is my last sermon here on staff at Midtown. I thought it'd be a good idea to look at what Paul tells Timothy as he closes this letter and just share some final encouragements from my heart that I have for you as a church. Some things I want to leave you with from 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 11 this morning. 1 Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, O man of God, Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So Paul here says much of what he already said in chapter four. He calls Timothy as a follower of Jesus, as a man of God, to not chase what everyone else around him wants to chase. He says, flee from the love of wealth, flee from false teaching, flee from all of these things and pursue what God has called you to pursue. You see, everyone flees something and everyone pursues something. Everyone is running away from one thing and chasing after something else. The question isn't if, but what? We're all running away from something and heading towards something else. And Paul tells Timothy here, everyone else in your life is going this way, chasing after these things, pursuing these things, but that shouldn't be true of you. As a follower of Jesus, you need to flee what everyone else is chasing and you need to pursue the things of Christ. You need to run away from some things and toward 
other things. The problem is that for Timothy and for us, this does not come easy. Everything in and around you is set up for you not to flee from and pursue what you should flee from and pursue. So think about our culture for a second, right? The Bible says that you should flee from sexual immorality and pursue holiness and purity. The culture says you should flee from anything that would hold you back or hold you down and you should pursue whatever makes you happy. The Bible says to flee division and to pursue peace and unity and reconciliation. The culture says to flee or to cancel or to to cut off anyone who disagrees with you and instead pursue winning the argument or winning the war. The Bible says to flee from your old ways of thinking and living and to pursue a new heart and a new mind in Christ. The culture says to flee from those old oppressive fairy tales of Christianity and to pursue being open-minded and enlightened. This is everywhere. You have access right now to an abundance of sin or distraction or secular worldviews or anti-Bible or anti-God ideas. You have access to a whole slew of addiction-creating idols right in the phone in your pocket on the computer that you're watching this on right now. Everything in our world and in your life is set up to lull you asleep to the things of God, to his working in your life and in the world, to his desires for your life. That's just the external. That's just the culture. That's just the world. That's the external influences. Not to mention what's going on in your own heart, that you have a sin nature, the, the flesh, as the Bible calls it, that we said a few weeks ago means you don't default to pursuing Jesus. Nothing in you just defaults to wanting to pursue godliness or holiness or righteousness. And then you add on top of not only the culture and your sin nature, the flesh, but you also have a very real enemy, the devil, who the Bible says prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour through lies and deceit. And all of these things, the world, the flesh, the devil, all of them are calling you towards a false vision of the good life. They're calling all of us to think we should flee from some things and pursue other things. They're all calling us not to chase what God has called us to chase. That's why Paul continues and says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. We said this in week eight, the Christian life takes toiling and striving. It's a fight. If you wanna follow Jesus, you're going to get some scars. It takes toughness, it takes tenacity, it takes grit, it takes hard work and determination. Fight the good fight of faith. This imagery is used throughout the scriptures to talk about following Jesus, that it's a war, it's a battle, that you and I are soldiers, that this is going to be a fight. And Paul says here in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Fight for your Faith, you have to fight. You have to fight to cling to Jesus. You have to fight to trust in Jesus. When everything in your life feels haywire, you have to fight for your faith. When everything in the world around you feels topsy-turvy and upside down, you have to fight for your faith. When you wanna throw in that towel on on the ever-pressing temptation that's calling after you, you have to fight for your faith. Paul says cling to Jesus. All of us flee something and pursue something. The question is what? What are we chasing after? What are we running towards? Author Jerry Bridges says it this way. He says, so there is a sense in which we are growing in our character every day. The question is, in which direction are we growing? Are we growing towards godly character or ungodly character? Are we growing in love or selfishness, in harshness or patience, in greed or generosity, in honesty or dishonesty, in purity or impurity? Every day we are training ourselves in one direction or the other by the thoughts we think, 
the words we say, the actions we take, and the deeds we do. We are always fleeing one thing and chasing another. The question is, what are we chasing? When all of the the stay-at-home orders began back in March, myself, like so many of us, had really good ideas of how I wanted to grow in my godliness, how I wanted my family to grow, how I wanted to be united as a family. So uh, my wife gave birth to our first daughter uh, right before all the stay-at-home orders started. So we were in a gathering on Sunday. We went in and she gave birth on a Tuesday. We left the hospital that Thursday and we never went back to a gathering. So it was literally right at the start of all of the shutdowns. And I remember heading into that season being excited. Like in some ways I got a little bit of a partial paternity break, even longer than I was expecting to get because I got to work from home. I got to see them on my lunch breaks. I got to just be around a lot more. And so I had a lot of really good ideas of how I wanted to grow personally, how I wanted to grow in my walk with Jesus, how I wanted our family to grow as we established new rhythms, going from a family of two to a family of three. I had all these great ideas. And then uh, last week we were out of town. And so I got some, a chance just to kind of get away and think and pray about the past three months of what's been going on in our world. And it just hit me. I was asking the question, did I actually do any of those things I set out to do? Because I thought back to the rhythms and routines and habits of my life over the past three months. Was I actually growing and pursuing the things I wanted to grow and pursue? Was I actually more in love with Jesus? Was I actually connected with my family? And I just had this sense before the Lord that I had wasted it. Like that I had spent the last three months with grand ideas of how I wanted to come out on the other side of stay-at-home orders and COVID-19, more in love with Jesus and better connected to my family. And I hadn't done any of the things that I needed to do to actually do that. And I realized that over the past three months, it was much easier to just fall into rhythms of comfort and apathy and laziness and slothfulness. That was much easier just to go with the flow instead of learning to fight for my godliness to fight for my holiness, to fight for the things that Jesus tells us to fight for, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, all of these things that are part of the way of Jesus. He says, fight for these things. It's a a fight. It's gonna take some toughness. It's gonna take some grit. Between uh, my wife and I's time in college and then this go around, Lindsay and I have been in Columbia and at Midtown for about seven years total. So the majority of our adult life has been spent in this city and in this church. And I've, I've gotten to see firsthand some of the beautiful ways that people have learned this reality and stepped in to what it means to fight for their faith and to cling to Jesus. So I think about stories like uh, my 2013 college spring break group. So we took a trip uh, with our college students like we do every year down to Miami. I think about two guys in particular in that group who really came in contact firsthand for the first time with uh, the goodness of Jesus, with the grace of the gospel, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and just said, we're gonna own our fight and committed themselves to following and pursuing what Jesus calls them to follow and pursue. And now seven years later, they're both loving and leading and serving and living just beautiful, flourishing lives in the gospel. Think about a woman who came around Midtown two years ago just racked with shame and guilt, uncertain about what she thought about Jesus or what she thought about Christianity. And and Jesus met her there. And in his grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, she surrendered her life to Christ. And she said, I wanna be all in on this. I wanna fight for holiness. I wanna fight for godliness. I wanna fight for what God says is actually flourishing in my life. And now she's given her life away and she's moving with us to Charlotte to see God's kingdom advance in a new city. 
Unfortunately, I can also think about more stories than, than I wish there were about people who gave up, who saw that it was a fight and said, you know what, I'm, I'm out. This is more than I signed up for. This is more than I bargained for. This is harder than I thought it was gonna be. This isn't as fulfilling as I thought it was gonna be. This doesn't satisfy me like I thought it was going to be, and so I'm out. Question for us this morning is, will you own your fight? Will you own your fight? The Christian life is a fight. You have to fight for godliness. You have to fight to pursue what God calls you to pursue. You have to fight for your holiness, fight for your faith, fight to cling to Jesus. Listen, your pastors can only do so much. Your life group leader, your life group can only do so much. Your best Christian friend can only do so much. Will you learn to own the fight for yourself? Will you not push the blame onto everyone and everything else, saying, you know, it's their fault I'm not growing. It's this life circumstance's fault that I'm not growing. It's, it's that person's fault. It's my life group's fault. It's my church's fault, whatever. Will you own the fight for yourself to say, no, I can and should step into what God calls me to step into by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I actually can grow more in my godliness tomorrow than I am today. Will you own the fight for yourself? Will you learn what it means to fight for your faith? to get some scars, to get some grit, to have some tenacity. Paul keeps going, verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul's urging is for Timothy to take hold of what is already true about him. So when he talks about this good confession in the presence of many witnesses, what he's most likely referring to is Timothy's baptism. A baptism that in a lot of ways would look similar to what we do here at Midtown. Timothy getting in a pool, going underneath the water and rising back up again, proclaiming that he is dead to his sin and he's made alive together with Christ Jesus. This is what Timothy has done. He's confessed Jesus is the Lord and Savior. He's king of my life. And, And Paul says that eternal life, that's now true about you. That is now your identity. And so he says, Timothy, take hold of that. Cling to that. Learn to live into what is already true about you. You see, Timothy has already received eternal life through Jesus. This was true when Christ called him, but that wasn't and it isn't the end of the story. It's one thing to say, I have Christ, I know Christ, I have eternal life, but it's a whole other thing to actually learn to live into that reality. And I love the connection Paul makes for Timothy, verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. So Paul says to Timothy, he can take hold of eternal life based not just on his own confession, but on the confession of Jesus. On Jesus, who confessed to be the Messiah, who didn't back down or go his own way or seek his own earthly kingdom, but rather said, yes, I am the one who has come and it led him to the cross. The cross where where Pilate had the sign written above Jesus' head, Jesus, King of the Jews. The cross which Jesus willingly took on to purchase our redemption, our forgiveness, our eternal life. It's an encouragement for us as we fight the good fight as soldiers, as we pursue the good life, as we pursue this eternal life to which we've been called, we have the one who went first, who led the way, who purchased our salvation. This is how Hebrews 12 talks about it in verse one. It says, therefore, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So notice, let us flee and run from the weights and the sins which wanna hold us down and let us run with endurance. Let us pursue the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, we fight looking to Jesus, who is not just our great example, but is our great redeemer. He continues in verse 14, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Paul says, be reminded, Jesus is coming again. He's going to do it. We can't talk about it enough. We can't remind each other of this reality enough. I mean, if there was ever a year and a time to remember that this is not the end of our story, this would be it. 2020 would be it to remember this is not the end. That Jesus is coming again. So take hold. Take hold of the eternal life offered freely to you by the blood of Jesus. Cling to him. Fight for your faith. Throughout both 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul urges both Timothy and the church at Ephesus to fight the good fight, to toil and to strive and to pursue the things of God, to not grow weary, but to hold fast, to labor to the end, to not fall away, but to stay in the fight, to keep being the church, regardless of what's going on around them, to pursue godliness together. And we actually know from church history that Timothy does that, that he fights the good fight, that he clings to the gospel and to Christ, and ultimately he's stoned to death for his faith. But we have another letter actually written written to the church in Ephesus some 30 years later. So this time it's not Paul, but it's the apostle John writing to this same church about 30 years after the writing of 1 Timothy. This is what we read in Revelation 2. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Now you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you have not grown weary, verse four, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. John says here, Ephesians, you did all the right things. You did it. You toiled, you labored, you fought for godliness, you had patient endurance, you played the long game, you tested false teachers, and you fought to defend the truth. You hate evil works. You haven't grown weary in all of this, but have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. You've forgotten what all of this is about. You did all the right things, and in the midst of all of that, you've forgotten who the church is about. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It always is about Jesus. And it always will be about Jesus. That's why we do any of this. 
right? Any of this stuff. We don't, we don't do this because we're bored. We don't do this because we need something fun to do on a Sunday. We don't do this because we want to make some friends. We don't do this so that we can become better people, whatever. We do this because of Jesus. Everything we do as a church is because of him, because God the Son took on flesh, And he lived the life that you and I could not live. He lived perfectly, spotless, clean before God. And yet, even though he was perfect, died the death that you and I and our sins deserved. He took the full wrath of God upon himself willingly. He willingly took our sin and bore the wrath of God so that we could have his righteousness. And he died, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he got up out of the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And now he is ruling and reigning as a risen king forever. This is the Jesus who it is about. And this is what Paul says about him in 1 Timothy 16. He says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Church, this is who it's all about. All of it is about Jesus. Your life is about Jesus. Your family, your marriage, your kids is about Jesus. Your life group, this church is about Jesus. Our preaching, our worship, everything we do is about Jesus. Planting churches is about Jesus. Your coworkers, your job, your workplace is about Jesus. Your neighborhood, your home, your friendships, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Everything is about him. Why do we fight for and defend the truth? Because of Jesus. Why do we raise up leaders and follow them and honor them? Because of Jesus. Why do we push back against division and distraction and seek unity within the church? Because of Jesus. Why do we fight for godliness? Because of Jesus. Why do we push back against trusting riches and instead trust in God? Because of Jesus. Why are we a family that helps the marginalized and the oppressed and the outcast? Because of Jesus. It's all about him. He's the blessed one, the one that is worthy of all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our adoration and all of our glory times a thousand. He's the only sovereign, the one who's not surprised by anything that has caught us off guard in 2020, that is not shaking in his boots, but knows what has happened and what will happen. He's in control of all of it. He's the king of kings, the one who's not nervous about a presidential election and who's gonna lead America in 2020 because he is king overall. He's the Lord of lords who will not fight for the throne of your lives because he will not share it with anyone. He deserves all of it. He is immortal. He never changes. He always was, always is, and always will be the same. He doesn't shift like the shadows. He is the great one. It's all about him. Paul says, to him be honor and dominion forever. It's all about Jesus. Listen, five years from now, I get the chance to to come back and preach. I want to be able to stand on this stage with with people actually in the room because Lord willing, we'll get to do that. I want to see people lifting their arms and praising and worshiping the king who it's all about. 
when I'm an hour and a half up 77. I want to get text messages and, and phone calls hearing beautiful stories about people getting put into life groups and learning what it means to confess their sin for the first time, learning what it means to follow Jesus together, to revolve their entire lives around seeing God's kingdom come in Colombia. I wanna see and hear these stories when I come back for baptism gatherings in the future. I wanna hear story after story and see life group after life group get around a pool celebrating the fact that they gave their lives away so that someone could come to know and follow Jesus. Back uh, in Easter of, of 2019, we had a, a baptism gathering and it was a big celebration. It was a big party uh, like we do here. And in the weeks leading up to it, uh, the, the pastors at Midtown had sat down, Lindsay and I, and said, hey, we would love for you uh, to consider staying here. We know that you wanna plan a church, but we'd love for you to, to pray about actually coming on staff, working with our groups team and uh, helping multiply groups across our city and see people come get plugged into church family. And uh, in a lot of ways, it was really exciting for Lindsay and I. It was, uh, in a lot of ways, a dream come true, getting to be in a city that we love, at a church we love. Um, my family is in Columbia area, and so it just really felt like it made a lot of sense, and we were really excited about it and really honored uh, to even whew, have the chance to, to think about it. And I remember, I knew this was gonna happen. Uh, I remember in that Easter gathering, uh, and it was the last set of baptisms, and a woman got up, and she just talked about how Jesus met her, got a, got a hold of her life, and she, everything was changed, and, and they asked, who's your Lord and Savior? And she said, Jesus Christ, and they baptized her, and, and her whole life group was around the pool just celebrating. And then the next video fired, and I remember her husband got in the pool, and he was talking about it for years. His wife was praying for him, and their, their life group was praying for him, and he was just so resistant to the things of God. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And then just through the continual tenacity of this group, he finally was just like, yeah, that, that's it. The Spirit got a hold of his life and he became a Christian and his wife who just got baptized got to turn around and baptize her husband and the whole life group was, was celebrating. And I remember standing over in, in this corner and everybody's cheering and they're going crazy. I was just weeping. I'm like, ugly crying. I'm a pretty ugly crier. I remember just weeping and everybody celebrating. And all I could think of that moment was, dang it. <laughs> we have to leave. I want to stay here and I want to see God's kingdom flourish in Columbia, but we have to go. This is, this is too good. This is the greatest news ever. This is King Jesus. He's worth it. He's worth it. And even though it's going to be hard, in a lot of ways, it seems better. It seems easier to stay in Columbia. He's worth it. And other people have to know him, and they have to learn to follow him. They have to give their lives away. Church, don't, don't take those stories for granted. Like, don't, they don't just happen. I think we can, we can forget because we're here and we see it and we see God moving and we see God working, that this is just gonna keep happening. And year after year, the more people are gonna meet Jesus, the more people are gonna get baptized. It doesn't just happen. Stories like that, a couple whose lives and futures and families are forever changed because of the good news of Jesus doesn't just happen. It happens when a group of people say, you know what, I'm gonna give it all away. 
gonna give away my money, I'm gonna give away my time, I'm gonna give it away, everything in my life because I wanna see God's kingdom come and flourish in our city. Stories don't just happen. They happen when a group of people say, I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight for my faith, I'm gonna fight for your faith and we're gonna lock arms. We're gonna learn what it means to follow Jesus together. Listen, it's all about him. Just seems fitting. The last thing I should say to you as a staff member is that it's all about him. It's all about King Jesus. Everything is about him. Listen to me, being Jesus-centered, it's not just a thing that sounds cool. Not just a cool couple of words to put at the front of a vision statement. Being Jesus-centered has to be everything. Has to be everything. Let's pray. God, I'm super grateful for this, this church. And I'm grateful for your kindness in my life to get to be here, for Lindsay and I to, to meet at this church, to get married at this church, to, to get to be a part of what you have done through this little church family over the past 10 years. It's a hard thing to leave. It's a hard thing to, to go, but we know that we wanna see your kingdom move and expand and we want more people in heaven forever worshiping you because some people said, yeah, I'll put my yes on the table and I'll go and I'll sacrifice. So God, we know you're worth it. We know King Jesus is worth it. God, would you give us a fight? And there's too much apathy in our lives. There's too much comfort in our lives. There's too much security in our lives. God, would you make us a people that are willing to fight and to get some scars for the sake of the gospel moving forward, that you would give us some tenacity and some toughness and some grit, that we would say, no, I'll give away whatever it takes because I want to see God made famous in our city. It's all about you, God. Would you protect this church? Would you protect this family? Five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, God, I want nothing more than to hear about a group of people coming together as a little church family called Midtown, worshiping and loving and praising you. It's only by your grace and through your spirit that that happens. We need you. We love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.